I've got a sticky situation, which is kind of an amusing thing, except 21 people died. Oh, I have um, an old piece of paper about which no one died. Hello there, welcome to Date Fight. It's the show that takes great moments from history and pitches them against each other. Sort of, where am I? What day is it? I know what day it is. It's the 15th of January, and this is definitely Date Fight. He's Jake, yep. I'm Nat Duckley, and together we will be trawling through whatever trawlers trawl, probably oceans, to pull the finest fish and plastic historical squid out and. Watch them die on the deck of our entertainment. Beautiful. More beautiful imagery. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are very welcome. Round one! Round one, um, I will go to the 15th of January, 1759, and the opening of the British Museum. Oh! The first public national museum in the whole wide world, which now contains 13 million Objet. Oh. It was taken from the collection of Sir Hans Sloane, who it keeps saying he bequeathed his collection to the state in exchange for £20,000. Now, that doesn't sound like bequeathing it. That sounds like selling it Flogged to it. me. So here's what's happened. He's got a lock-up with quite a lot of Nick swag in it. <laughs> yeah. And he's fenced it oh. off to the government. Even worse than Nick swag, uh, he bought all his 71,000 objects by marrying the widow of a wealthy Jamaican planter. Oh. So this is all slave money that bought all the original collection, including 40,000 books and 7,000 manuscripts. It gets so much better. <laughs> it gets so much better after that, because we hadn't started nicking stuff by then, because <laughs> to begin with it was mainly a library. And then what it doesn't say on their website about how they went from 71,000 objects to 13 million objects is the fact that the growth of the British Museum coincided pretty exactly with the ability of <laughs> British men to be able to go anywhere in the world and steal things at gunpoint. Hmm. So in 1778, they had a hugely popular display of objects from the South Seas brought back by Captain Cook. And pretty much every year after that, they went around the world nicking stuff and keeping it. That's why we've got it all. In fact, the Elgin Marbles, we named after the person who nicked them. Hmm. They're not even named after where they were found. The Greeks called them the Parthenon Marbles, not us. Elgin Marbles. Why? Because Elgin but, nicked them. But, Nat, hang on a second, um, because, mm-hmm. yes, historically, terrible, terrible things happened, but there's a little thing called restitution yeah. and justice and appeasement and apology and yes. the, the restoration of, <laughs> yes. of, of what is right. And well, how are we doing with that? Well, we're doing um, dreadfully with that. I mean, it's been particular... <laughs> <laughs> well, because there is a very um, specific legal reason why the British Museum don't want to give anything back to anyone because they say it would undermine the entire concept of the ownership of most of their collection. And rightly so, I think. They think that it would really legally undermine... So if they give anything back, then they're essentially conceding, we don't really own any of this. But what they could do, perhaps, is put it, give it on indefinite loan, or they don't take the money from one of their, let's say, their BP sponsorship and use that to tour it around the countries where they came from. I don't know, there are other um, 
options for them rather than just giving them back. But they are very keen not to just give things back because that would mean, essentially, they don't own anything and the British Museum would just be an empty building. I'm saying... Uh, well, you call it an empty building. I'm saying Westfield Bloomsbury. <laughs> I'm saying escape park. <laughs> the biggest escape room <laughs> in history. Yeah. <laughs> But so that's the opening of the British Museum. It's obviously hugely influential um, and full of human remains which we stole from around the world. Ta-da! You're welcome, Yay! world! <laughs> yes. But we did invent the idea of going around the world nicking things. First public national museum, so, yeah. you know, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. It's another great moment to be a British person. Uh, on mm. this podcast, <laughs> history's I, full of those. I hope, I sincerely hope that this entire podcast series is sort of taken by its consumers as just a, 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 a huge, epic apologia for. I hope so. I hope all of the shockingly <laughs> bad things that we've done. It would be terrible to feel this apologetic every day and yet not to be apologising. Yeah, I apologise. Yeah, we both apologise very much. Yeah. In fact, this should be on the curriculum. Yeah, just for everyone. Yeah. Um, that said, I'm mm. going to take you back to the 15th of January 1919 and invite you to have a bit of a chuckle at some people who died because they died in molasses, Nat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. So this was the great molasses... Does this start funny, then get horrific? It starts funny and then it gets horrific. Yeah. In fact, it, yeah. it doesn't okay. last very long in the funny bit. Um, i tell oh. you what... Did they come to a sticky end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they drowned in boiling hot molasses if that's if that's your oh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. So this was in Boston. Tell me the story. Okay, then. well this is in Boston, Massachusetts. It's in 1919 mm. and uh, a wave of molasses is released from an exploding storage tank. Uh, that's this is this is yeah. 24 million pounds of molasses. It is a staggering amount of molasses. You might be thinking to yourself, why do they need that much molasses? I mean, yeah. you only make Christmas cake once a year. <laughs> it's the only time you use it. Yeah. Uh, but you can ferment molasses oh. and you can make ethanol, mm -hmm. the active ingredient in alcoholic beverages, Yummy. and also a key component in munitions. Oh. So drinking and fighting. Where would we be without molasses mm. for that? Molasses. So the... The theory is that uh, what they did is they had these massive storage tanks mm -hmm. of molasses. Yeah. Um, and they were dumping more into a tank. And what they would do is they would heat the molasses to make it, literally to make it runny. Yeah, so right. it was so it didn't stick to everything as they poured it in. Yeah, yeah. What they, and then they'd have a crane with this massive 40-foot index finger that would just wipe down the <laughs> <Yeah>. spoon <laughs> and then suck it. All of the townsfolk would gather to suck the, the finger. <laughs> but uh, what happened was they think that the hot molasses made the cold molasses expand. There wasn't room in the tank and kaboom. Uh, apparently the ground shook and they heard a roar as this tank collapsed. They said it sounded like a... An elevated train. Had these people ever heard an elevated train? I, I it seems like an odd I, thing for them to choose. I don't think it's that. It odd. sounds like one of those modes of transport we don't have in Boston. <laughs> oh, don't make me don't make me look up whether or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wait, really can't be bothered. Right. But uh, like some people said it sounded. They said it sounded like machine gun fire as the rivets shot out of the tank. Wow, this is pure Hollywood yeah. stuff, right? Do, 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 do. 
So it's 40% more dense than water and it had a lot of energy. And this turned into a wave of molasses that was 25 feet high. What? How big was the storage tank? It was mo- 24 million pounds oh. of molasses moving at 35 miles an hour. You could not outrun this. Okay. Yep. Oh, and here's a detail mm. for you. The wave was strong enough to drive the burst tank against the girders of the adjacent Boston Elevated Railways <laughs> Atlantic <laughs> Avenue structure. Okay. So actually, they'd heard that sound. It just sounded like an ordinary L train. They'd heard yeah. it a lot. They're like, oh, train's a bit early today. Woof! Yeah. Oh! <laughs> So it was horrendous. Uh, it was. Uh, this is the Boston Post said. Molasses mm. waist deep covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled a form. Whether it was an animal or a human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass showed where any life was. Ooh. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. Isn't that horrific? It is. So, yeah, lol, and then I feel like a terrible person. Yeah. Although that that last metaphor does then sort of reveal the hypocrisy of our attitude to horses with regard to our attitude to flies, which are more than happy well, to stick to Well, I, I will paper. say, that winter, horse in molasses was the dish du jour in every restaurant. <laughs> imagine, it, <laughs> but apparently, imagine a haunch like a toffee apple that you're sort of biting. <laughs> <laughs> Yum. Sticky ribs. <laughs> it's uh, So uh, for, apparently, for, even after the clean-up, for decades afterwards, on a hot day... Boston smelled of molasses. Wow. That's quite something. Yeah. Well, I could wish it smelled of that now. I can't imagine. Hmm. Well, so whereabouts in the city was it? Was it in the old bits or in the new bits? Uh, well, it would have been in the old bits. It was by the port, I think. Right. It was uh, because it was a ship, I think, was unloading some molasses. 24 feet high? That still seems like a lot of molasses to me. That's an unbelievable amount of... I mean, very hot molasses. If we can say anything about this story, it's that that was a lot of molasses. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of molasses. <laughs> All died. Shall I do the birthdays? Happy birthday to... Molière, Jean-Baptiste Poquelin, playwright who died just after a performance of his The Imaginary Invalid, in which he had played a hypochondriac who thought he was so ill he was going to die. Mmm. I mean, he had to die after some play. It's probably not that exciting. Um, happy birthday to Sofia Kovalevskaya. She was a Russian mathematician and the first woman to get a full professorship in Northern Europe. She was also the first woman to edit a scientific journal. However, her life was very 19th century Russian, in that her alcoholic husband was exiled for his radical politics before committing suicide, and then she died at 41. So happy birthday, Sofia Kovalevskaya. Also happy birthday to Claudia Winkleman, whose autobiography should be called Beyond the Fringe, even if it isn't. <laughs> she can have that. You can have that. Oi, I, do you know what I did what can the other day? Your, I had your, Claudia Winkleman in it. I said, here, when you do your autobiography, I said, you can have that. Do you know what she, she said? Do you know what she said? She just drove off. She said, do you know what she said? She said, hmm. Brilliant. <laughs> Happy death day to Chak Tokichak. 
the first. The great Jaguar Paw, head of the Maya city of Tikal, he died on the day that Siaj Ak, a war leader for Teotihuacan, the spear thrower owl, arrived in Tikal, probably because he killed him. Happy death day to Ite of Kilidi, an Irish nun who was said to embody the six virtues of Irish womanhood. Any guess as to what the six virtues of Irish womanhood are, Jake? Um, no, that's that's a trap. Don't even start trying. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It is. I appreciate you risk. I, I'm happy to forfeit today's <laughs> day fight for your rescue there. Thank you. Wisdom, purity, beauty, musical ability, gentle speech. Oh. And needle skills. Wowzers. <laughs> yeah. uh, she fostered St. Brendan, but she died when a beetle ate her side and grew to the size of a pig. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have no idea. Some people think this may be a metaphor for cancer. I like to think it's a big beetle who ate her side and grew to the size of a pig. Yeah, I'm definitely in the latter camp. Yeah. Also happy... Happened to a mate of mine. That actually happened to a mate of mine. (laughs) Happy death day to Rosa Luxemburg, the socialist revolutionary who didn't like the Bolsheviks, who criticised the Bolsheviks, but during the revolutions in Germany in 1919-20, she was taken prisoner in Berlin and killed without trial and shot in the street by Captain Pabst. So, happy death day, Rosa Luxemburg. And those are the death days. Excellent. Before we go on the death days, though, mm-hmm. uh, who who's the one that died? The the general from the uh, the tribe thing? Oh, Chak Tokichak. Happy death day to Chak Tokichak the first. Yes. I'm going to be talking about that tomorrow. Are you? Ah, yes, yes. I expect you are too. That does appear twice in these online repository of information. Yes. (laughs) I didn't notice that. (laughs) But uh, it's it's a good story. Yeah, we can say it took him a day to die. Or he died a day get. I think I might get you to do all the pronunciations. Because that was impressive. (laughs) That was just me adding clicks to saying it. Talking truck. I'm the one who has to edit this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) January the 15th, 1910. Yes. Mm. And construction is completed on the Buffalo Bill Dam. Oh. Uh, they weren't damming Buffalo Bill. It wasn't some medical... I was going to say, was he flooding? A This is the tallest dam in the world at the time of its completion. 99 metres high. Being seven feet high. <laughs> in the saddle. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, quite a landmark and it was used Ooh. to obviously irrigate the surrounding arid countryside. Mm. But... It made me interested in Buffalo Bill because I was like, yes. is he is he someone we should celebrate? Is that a thing? And yes, yes. Buffalo Bill Cody, is he a goodie or is he a baddie? He's very much a white hat. Oh. He was quite a good guy. He supported the civil rights of Native Americans. Hooray! He employed many of them and gave them good pay. Hooray! Is and it by putting them in a freak show, though? I mean that was a muted her yeah, well, kind of yeah he had a he had a he had a sort of native american aquarium <laughs> if you like <laughs> by implicitly othering he, them he promoted their rights yay but uh, no he described them as the former foe present friend the american oh which is pretty egalitarian it is and he once said every indian outbreak that i have ever known has resulted from broken promises and broken treaties by the government mm which in some ways again is very very um worthy but he does say indian outbreak which yeah oh, okay all right yes i know <laughs> implicitly makes them a virus but you've got so to like. contextualize it yes i am well done buffalo bill and, and your dam and he and he also supported the rights of women 
Oh. He said, what we want to do is give women even more liberty than they have. Yes, mm. ladies. Even, we're going to give you... Even more. We, yeah. the men, are going to give you... <laughs> more liberty but he said let them do any kind of work they see fit um and if they do it as well as men give them the same pay oh well done um but then he was a freemason and he became a knight templar which is kind of weird mm, yeah one of the weird new one not a proper knight templar um and the dams all very well but what more fitting uh tribute could there be uh than a dental to dam. have a lo- locomotive <laughs> Locomotive number one, oh. named after you at Euro Disneyland Railroad. <laughs> Just imagine. It's exactly what he would have wanted. But Jack Cousteau is fuming. Well, yes, because of his work with Aquaria. Yeah. But it was just Native Americans. Oh. Well, that, that was a very nice story. Good to know that Buffalo Bill wasn't as, wasn't as awful as everyone else in the 19th century, apparently. It based, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very low benchmark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he managed not to abuse other humans for a brief period. Well done, Buffalo Bill Cody. <laughs> um, I'm going to take you to the 15th of January, 1962, and the discovery of Greece's oldest papyrus, the Derveni papyrus, uh, which was found. I was hoping you. I, I was hoping you would. Oh, you're looking forward to the story, the fascinating story of the Derveni papyrus. I genuinely was. I, 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 I just thought, oh, that looks really hard. <laughs> And then you did it, which is brilliant. Thanks, mate. Well, it was written during the reign of Philip II of Macedon. It was a philosophical treatise, but we're not really sure about that because the only reason it survived, Greece has very humid earth, apparently, so no papyruses survived from the uh, era because it just rotted away, except for this one, because this one was put on someone's funeral pyre and so it was burnt. So essentially you've got a black piece of paper with black ink on it and with we've worked out that it was a philosophical treatise about an allegorical comedy from the 5th century BC. Good Lord. And it was the oldest written document, paper document, from Europe ever. There we go. So that's what we got. The carboni- it was carbonised at the funeral pyre. Um, it survived, but is illegible. But it is the oldest surviving manuscript in the Western tradition um, and the oldest papyrus within Greece. And it was someone's sitcom script. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it was. <laughs> Almost certainly it was. The one thing we definitely need more of. Yeah. Well, if you do need more, I've got a big drawer full of... Yeah, 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 we all have, mate, yeah. <laughs> What's the legacy of this generation going to be? Chicken bones and sitcom scripts? Yeah. <laughs> Pictures for podcasts now. Oh, yeah, of course, podcasts, yeah. <laughs> it's an auditory wave will just be filling the past. Noise like this, polluting everyone's brains. Speaking of polluting your brains, we'll be back tomorrow with more brain pollution. Yes, we will, but you need to decide who, which mm. one out of which of us or who. Is it the British Museum? Is it Buffalo Bill? Is it Boskin's molasses disaster? Or is it Greece's oldest papyrus? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, you do, because you can now vote. Uh, we're voting every day now uh, for who you feel won. And then we're going to toss up uh, yeah. at the end of the week and, and work out who, who the week's winner is. On Sundays. Yes. Do you want to know the score so far? No. Okay. I, I mean, I do. I really, really, I really do. But I don't want to cloud the way people vote today. Oh, really? <laughs> Perhaps I do. Perhaps I do. <laughs> I don't know. If you go to at date underscore fights on Twitter, you can vote there. 
yes or facebook.com forward slash date folks you can vote there I mean the very fact that you weren't really bringing the vote part up <laughs> it's making me feel like this is interesting anyway that's the end of the podcast um, nothing yeah, more to do here do vote it's so important guys well, alright is it, is it or we'll is it just you yet tomorrow. another example of the way in which we look to democracy to fulfil the emptiness in our souls that an absence of moral fibre can it's literally because I shout leave means leave every other episode. <laughs> <laughs> leave means leave. Do vote and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.